Kanichiwa. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Joe. And this is our fifth time starting the podcast, and each time it gets less funny and less funny until pretty much it's going to be all monotone. Yeah, we're pretty much in a bad mood now. I wasn't until, <laughs> until the fifth <laughs> time starting it over. We went on for like 10 minutes, and then you're like, you know, we butchered that. We we should just start over. Yeah. Which is the first time I've ever seen you concerned about a commercial. Well, but it was MoGiv. They got a special place in my heart. Well, well, Pete, tell me about MoGiv. What is MoGiv? Well, MoGiv is this online and text-based giving solution built specifically for the needs of new, growing, and shrinking churches. Well, Pete, shouldn't I really just be using PayPal? Isn't that a lot more simpler? No, that's a cheap and easy placeholder. You want to use MoGiv.com forward slash church, and that's spelled M-O-G-I-V dot com. Wow, you have dramatically changed my life. Dramatically? <laughs> Well, I, I just want to point out there that um, if you're thinking about getting your church started with online giving or text-based giving, or if you want this Santa Claus over here to give to your church, <laughs> you, That's better, right. you better be using MoGive. That's da-da. right. The secret tither. That's right. Well, it's not so secret when you tithe with a credit card, but yeah, you know. Yeah, you kind of announce it too. You know, back in the days where you were at Refuge in Long Beach, you'd be like, Credit card over here, everybody. Credit card. You wave <laughs> it in the air a little not. bit. It'd be like a wave offering. And sometimes you do the heave offering with your credit card. I'm doing, I'm doing, I pull out the black card. Hey, everybody, it's a black card. This is a true story. You know how like some credit cards, they let you put your own picture on your credit card? What? You know, like some credit cards, some banks, they'll like, you can what? upload a picture of like Superman to it. And, and you know, that's on your credit card. Can I do a picture of me as Superman or me as Batman? Yeah, you could upload whatever you want. So I I had one of those once upon a time, and uh, I uploaded a black picture, just straight black, because I wanted people to think I had a black card. And so they changed my design. I was the only one that they did this to, so that way you wouldn't confuse it as a black card. They put like this big gray box in the middle of it. I was like, I don't oh. even know what a black card is. I, you know, I'm a church planner, man. I, I don't know what this kind of money's all about. Like, what do you? A black what, card. What you, American Express was really popular with their black card. I believe it was American Express when they came out with it. I don't have one. Never had one. But basically, it's an unlimited credit card. You could buy whatever you wanted with it. You got a great little concierge service. You can always call in and get whatever you need. Um, you have to charge. It's like an absurd amount of money. A lot of business owners have it because they put all their business expenses on the credit card. And um, I remember I went to dinner with this one guy, and he pulled out his black card. And I was like, oh, cool. That's what one looks like. It's just a black card. No way. Yeah. I think it's like cool. It's like two grand a year. That's the annual fee. It's pretty. I did not know you could put your own design on a credit card. It depends on the bank. I don't. I need need to go bank shopping. That's all I'm telling you. I don't remember who that was. I don't have that card anymore. But uh, you know, such as life. I don't even care about the rate. I just want a picture of me as Batman on my credit card. You know what I care about most on credit cards is the um, are the fees. 
if there's annual fees, then I pretty much won't do it because I'm like, why am I paying you when you're already going to charge me 20, 30%, whatever a credit card is? I don't even know anymore. You know, my gardener's about to turn the blower on, the sucker blower. Is that is that the name of it? Right yeah, I think, that's, my door. I think that's exactly what you call it, a sucker blower. A sucker blower. I can operate the sucker blower. Is that like a thing landscapers say? You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! That's all I got to say on that issue. You can hear it, can't you? Uh, only when it comes right by your door. Okay. So, hey, all tell right. everyone what is today's topic before we uh, dig our hole a little bit deeper in Smack Talk. Absolutely. So, today's topic is going to be women in church planning. Yes, we're talking about the women's. And basically, their role is to be barefoot and pregnant and at home, right? Hate mail is coming. Wait for it. <laughs> and remember, everybody, my email address is P-E-Y-T-O-N at churchplannermag.com. <laughs> oh. Yeah so, yeah. so just so you know, the sexy voice on the podcast that says really intelligent things is me, Peyton. And uh, the higher pitch voice that says the obnoxious things that invite hate mail is Pete. So it's Pete at churchplannermag. Dot com. This can't be happening, man. This isn't happening. <laughs> it's a good thing that I get to edit because I can edit out that whole little rant you just gave. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the power. <laughs> dan. Dick dan. So what happened to you this last week? What can we talk about in Smack Talk? Well, you don't want to talk about what happened to me because I just was writing my book, man. Oh, so. get over your book. That's all I've heard I about. I know. Stupid book. It, 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 I can't talk to Pete about my book. He's like, I'm done. I don't want to hear any more about the book. So, uh, but I wrote what, a book. What I find funny about your book project is you've got a, a small uh, closed Facebook group for select guys who you've asked to read your manuscript and give you feedback. I have no idea why you have me in that group. Like none. Uh, me neither. That makes two of us. I, I'm like, why? <laughs> why does he have me in here? Has he already made the audible version of it? <laughs> the reason I have you in there is because when I float ideas, sometimes if it's like looking at a cover or a title, you know, I, I've learned to respect you as the guru. So when you tell me a title sucks. I pretty much take your word for it. But it doesn't really matter what I think. Your publisher is the only one who matters. Like, it, your opinion doesn't even matter to them. Oh, yeah, but it does. On on book covers and titles, um, that's typically what uh, authors fight with their publishers the most on. But to be honest, like, okay, I got to say. You, did you lose on Church Zero then? Because oh, that's yeah, just not a I, good title. No, most definitely. In fact, I lost on everything with that. Um, the name itself, I mean... You know, it, it. I suppose in a way it's original, but that's kind of the problem with it. It doesn't really say what the book is about. And I remember compromising. Um, I told Cook at that time, uh, "You can, you okay, you can have Church Zero. They were super excited. I mean, I've I've almost never seen people say it must have really meant something to them because the subtitle is what I knew. I said, "Look, as long as you make the subtitle this." fine and i remember talking to my agent and he was like hey man you know sometimes you, you you fight battles he goes don't make that the hill you die on you got bigger fish to fry with your book and uh but on this one i have to say i was more pleased with what they came out with so um the 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 title of this next book is reaching the unreached or uh reaching the unreached 
becoming the Raiders uh, or becoming a Raider of the Lost Art. <laughs> What's and the I title of your that. book again? One more time. This time in a complete sentence. I've been up. I've been up since four a.m. So I'll, I'll try. I'll try to give it a shot. Uh, reaching the unreached, becoming a Raider of the Lost Art. It's pretty good. And uh, it's got a cool little picture of a uh, little stylized. I don't. I see. I don't know if I like your cover. I love the cover. Do you? I love. Oh, I love. That's the how cover. we should know it's not going to work. Yeah, but see, I didn't like my last cover. That's that's the well, deal. And so okay. yeah, yeah, I give you credit there. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. Because on Church Zero, the reason Church it has Zer? a Japanese look is they go, uh, "What do you want?" And I go, "Well." I kind of like, okay, now now this is why you should never listen to me on a cover idea. Because I didn't care. I was like, oh, I want a picture of two Japanese manga robots fighting each other. <laughs> they go, what? <laughs> why? And I said, because I've never seen a Christian book with that on the cover. And I think that would be awesome. You're walking through, you're, that's going to stop. That's going to arrest your attention. And so they kind of threw me a bone and gave me a kind of Japanese looking cover, which uh, didn't really make sense, but. You know, it weren't the robots, but it was all right. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, hmm, I got to tell you, I, I think whoever was in charge of that probably needs to not be in charge of that over there at your publisher. I don't think they are anymore. <laughs> See, there you go. There you go. But uh, yeah, well, that's cool. So you got your book getting done. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the, the coolest thing I did, though, was I went to a kid's party. That week, <laughs> um, whose kids' party was that? Uh, you know, is it, it was it was a little guy. Um, his name's Luke. Uh, he uh, is named after a Star Wars film. Um, his dad's pretty cool. Uh, a little bit like Darth Vader. A little bit. I had evil. a bad feeling about this. He's kind of twisted, more machine than than man. Don't make me destroy you. <laughs> One day the son will redeem the father. It all works out. He'll be bald, and of course, and too old to do anything. So uh, I went to Luke's party and uh, that was good fun, man. Besides the fact I turned up an hour early, that kind of sucked. You see, you weren't an actual hour early. You're only like a half hour early. Yeah, but in my house, that's an hour. Uh, Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, Luke's got his first first day of school this week. He goes to, I guess they call it TK. It's like pre-kindergarten or something. I don't know. I don't really understand it. Yeah, I don't know. It's Max, man. They they've changed things up since when I was a kid. Like they didn't have pre kindergarten when I went. It was like kindergarten was when you went to school. But uh, TK is two years, I guess, and then you go to first grade. So Captain America turned up to the party. That was kind of cool. Captain America did turn up to his party. Yeah, and that poor guy was sweating like a pig, dude. It was seriously like a Saturday Night Live sketch. Like when they have like the <laughs> little Chris like Farley. tube. Yeah. The, like the tube that comes up through the collar and goes through the hair, and it just the guy was dripping. Like he he kept making come that that must have been really uncomfortable because his whole suit was made of leather. He was dripping, <laughs> according to Jamie. He was dripping when he came up to the door, so he must yeah. have been miserable. Like I just remember thinking, this is not a job that this guy is going to do very long because <laughs> we looked we pretty much worked out. And- we pretty much worked out how much the guy made by what you guys paid him. And we decided at first he showed up and we're like, hey, this is really cool, you know. And uh, if he didn't show, like I told Pete, hey, I'm totally ready, man. I, I'll, I'll go grab a pair of underoos, you know, and uh, I'll come out as Captain America. It'd be awesome. 
<laughs> I love how uh, you had to take his shield, put it on your back, and then you're doing like the back photo where you're looking yeah. back over your shoulder and, hey, everyone, look at my shield. Oh, uh, this? Yeah. This, the, oh, you oh you like that? Yeah. Like my shield? Yeah. That was nice. Yeah. yeah. I did the one where I was hiding. I was trying to do a Wilson pose where all you could see was <laughs> eyes and nose. <laughs> I was going more for the, does this shield make my butt look big? But, you know. Except that the shield was actually bigger than your back and butt. I think the the shield was pretty much bigger than my entire body. Yeah. I mean, you're not a, a gigantic guy to begin with. And that shield, I mean, that dude was tall. He must have been like he was six, five or something, man. He was he was ginormous. Well, not 6'5". Yeah, five, he was a pretty big whatever. dude. His costume was cool. I did, I did want his costume. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little bit disappointed that Luke was into Marvels as opposed to Star Wars. I'd like him to stay in Star Wars. I'm just going to yeah. say, throw that out there. I'd like him to always be a Star Wars guy. Always two. There are a master and an apprentice. But, uh, but yeah, he didn't go for that. Yeah. Uh, th- let's, you know, let's get back to the reality that pretty much when I came to your house, I'm like, yeah, this is Pete's party, man. <laughs> that's, hey, that's are upset. you the one that gave him the gift of the bow and arrows? I was. Okay, because I was telling Jamie yesterday, I go, I go, I got to be honest with you. That's my favorite gift. <laughs> I told you, I go, man, you're going to either love me or hate me because uh, he already lost know. one arrow. So now I got to start buying him replacements. First thing I did, man, we I went to Target and I'm like, okay, Nerf weapons. I got to get him Nerf weapons because I don't thing, have a boy. That thing is so accurate. He's on the other side of the backyard <laughs> and I can tag him in the small of his back. He's like, Dad, stop it. And I'm like, sure. And I'm grabbing another arrow. Boink. I'm like, this thing is awesome. I love it. It's my favorite, favorite oh, toy. Oh, dude, it is so dang fun. So I have girls. So my wife took me aside maybe two years ago because, you know, we adopted our, our second child, who's a girl. And uh, I would totally be doing, you know, I'd be living vicariously through my my boy and uh, buying Star Wars everything. And Andrea took me aside at one point because I think I had just made a comment like, oh, you know, it'd be cool if Liberty were into this or that. And she goes, hon, you know, she's a girl, but, you know, she'll get, if you play your cards right, she'll get into whatever you make fun. I go, really? She goes, yeah. So I go, okay, well, l- let me, let me see what I can do. Um, so I went to Target went down the nerf weapon because to me that's just the coolest stuff they had battle axes they had like spiked clubs they had swords and shields and crossbows and i'm like this is just the coolest stuff how how did how does every adult not own like a stockpile of these things and just constantly shooting each other all the time so i bought um i bought a bunch of ninja weapons teenage mutant ninja turtle like the bow staff the you know, throwing stars, all that. And so I, I, you know, one of them came with like a little turtle shell. So I got Liberty all kitted up. She thought it was cool. And so we used to fight a lot. Well, then one weekend, Andrew is going away. So I bought, um, there were these Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle uh, Nerf guns that you could buy. And they were just super cool. And so I don't know, man, any excuse I can get to buy it. Like the, the bummer was I really wanted to play with it before I left your house. That was kind of the real reason I bought it. But uh. <laughs> I love how it's for kids eight plus. He's turning five. You're like, oh, I'm going to get him in this one. But that thing is incredibly accurate. And uh, I actually kind of want one now for my birthday. I, uh, done. 
<laughs> in fact, in fact, I'll buy two and we'll just run around shooting each other. We'll be like, because turn this year, this one parent came up to me. He's like, Hey man, I'm just going to apologize now for the gift that we got. Uh, it's got uh, these nerf things that you can shoot. And I go, Hey, don't worry about it, man. The dog's going to chew those up. in the that first was me. Day. That well, was me. Somebody else did the same thing. The Nick guy who you were talking to. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm like, Oh yeah. I got to it. share the gospel with him. Oh, did you really? a little bit. Just, yeah. just kind of the fringe. And then, like he's he's British, so I mean he and I were chatting for a while, and then he got really uncomfortable, and I was like, okay, you know, poor guy, man, I'll I'll, I'll stop here. But really, uh, see, I I wondered about that because here's the thing, man, his son's name is Elijah, yeah, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's not a name you hear very often. I'm like, but he's from England, so I would just assume that he's not saved, yeah, because you know it's yeah, not a, it's not a church uh, it's not a church area. And uh, but I'm like, who names their kid Elijah? Now, and then I told Jamie later, I go, now if he named his kid Elisha, then we know we got a winner. <laughs> it was cool, man, because we were talking about everything from rugby to firefighting to him being a postman because I used to work with tons of postmen. And uh, yeah, it was just really funny because um, uh, I could just see this guy was totally surrounded by um, by Christians. And I was like, oh, man, God's got his hand on you, pal. Your days are numbered. So, <laughs> well, I mean, he does send his kid to a, a Christian. Well, I mean, it's a Christian's preschool, and there's not a whole lot of preschools in our area. So, yeah. I mean, you kind of like, oh, you got an opening? Cool. I'm getting my kid in there. <laughs> like, we had to put Mackenzie on the waiting list. She's not even two yet. Wow. I know. They're like, oh, you want to get her in here? We got to put her on the waiting list. Man, like, they must use good Play Doh there. That's all I'm saying. It's a church, dude. And I'm telling you, man, it is. Uh, I don't know, man. It's it's a church, church. It's it. I'm having flashbacks of my childhood. It is oh, a yeah? Baptist church steeple and all. I'm like nice. Wow. I'm I'm having flashbacks. So so I preached yesterday. Oh, did you? Where at? Yeah, I preached at uh, Generation in Oceanside, nice. and uh, and they 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 said to me, hey, you know, because they've adopted the discussion group thing. So you preach for twenty minutes, and then there's ten minutes discussion. And so I, I go up there and they're, they're like, you know, they're come up to Ephesians, Ephesians four. And the pastor approached me and said, Hey, would you preach for us on team leadership? And I said, sure, no problem. So I, I go up there and I'm thinking in my mind, like, Oh crap, I forgot to look at the clock. I got 20 minutes. So make it short. And of course, you know, there's one or two, two issues that's going to happen. Either I go up there. And because I wrote a book on this subject, right, I'm going to go up there and just go super long and just try to exhaust it. But in my mind, I knew don't screw this up for them. You know, discussion groups are kind of new for this church. Make sure it's short. I literally, I preach for 10 minutes, dude. <laughs> That's got to be a first. <laughs> and it was, except for when I speak at old folks' homes. Because the first time I ever spoke at an old folks' home in Europe, um, I, I was literally, no joke now, like one minute to one minute and a half in. And this old guy goes, is he done yet? He just goes on and on and on. <laughs> so awesome. The guy's deaf as a post. And uh, so 10 minutes is a golden rule for that. I so, find your um, lack of faith disturbing. So anyways, I preached 10 minutes. So I went back at, you know, they broke up into the group. The pastor goes, hey, dude. 
that was 10 minutes. You got tons of time to fill. So I went back there and fielded some Q&A after discussion. But uh, that was pretty funny, man. I have never done that. But I have to say, in 10 minutes, man, it was like a slam dunk. I, I mean, team leadership, you know, come on. It was great. I didn't even mention Voltron. I don't know how you could get through a sermon without mentioning Voltron. I, I, I know, right? It was, it was, it was, and shall henceforth be known as the miracle of Generation Oceanside. <laughs> well, hey, you know, since you're doing all this team leadership stuff, let me ask you: Would you consider yourself on the team to be the math pastor? No, that is the hidden gift in Ephesians 4. There is the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, and math pastor. And no, that is not my role. <laughs> I love how you just... Uh, you, Blasphemed? You, you spoke Made up scripture? Into, uh, you spoke into the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just fresh in my mind, that's all. Well, um, you don't strike me as someone that's going to be really good at the whole administrative thing. And that's mainly because I've worked with you for a couple of years now. And, um, and I know you're not good at anything administratively and pretty taxes, much. insurance, IRS, not going to jail for uh, contributions, things <laughs> like that. Um, you're, well, you're I mean, really, I could be good at going to jail. I just am not. No, I said not at, going to jail. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, you're not good at true. not going to jail. That means you're good at going to jail. There we go. So uh, I want to let you know about a better solution. It's SimplifyChurch.com. Hey, Pete, we have a third commercial today, don't we? I don't know. Do we? <laughs> I don't know. They just, they just aren't where they normally are, man. I'm trying to keep like you guessing. my world. I'm trying to keep you on your toes. Now, let me, tell you, box, man. Let, let me That's tell you about SimplifyChurch.com before they leave us as a sponsor. And then we're really up the creek. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Simplify Church is there to make all of the hard stuff easy. You turn it over to them. Think of them as the sixth person on your five-person team. Simplify Church. Please don't leave us. Actually, maybe that's it. It's pastor. Wait, wait. It's prophet, <laughs> teacher, <laughs> shepherd, evangelist, simplified church. We're just going to throw that in there. I dig it. Math <laughs> pastor. So, but in all honesty, if you need to uh, collect money via text or online, go to MoGive. And if you need to make your life easier, go to simplifychurch.com. They're not just sponsors of the podcast. We also hey, hey, hey. Hey, is uh, is Mogib paying you extra to like piggyback onto Simplified Church's commercial? They actually started working together. I think oh. like Simplified Church is like now fully integrating with Mogib or something like that. It 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 is, and uh, we that was my suggestion, by the way, and um, we are good matchmakers. Ooh, maybe we should do like our own little eHarmony. I think we should get a cut of that. We should call it eChurchPlanter.com. <laughs> we should get a cut, Pete. I think we should. I think we should get a lot of things that we don't get. <laughs> That's true, huh? Oh, you know what I should have done? Hold on. Hold on a second here, guys. Great you know, Scott, you... it's time for this week's topic. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, a good idea. What is this week's topic, Peyton? So we're going to just pretty much commit theological suicide with our listeners and talk about women in church planning and what they can do and what they can't. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. <clears throat> loads and loads of fun. So um, <laughs> remember, everyone, P-E-Y-T-O-N at churchplannermag.com. 
Well, um, it, it's very interesting because I came, let me tell you a little story about Jack and Diane, um, two American kids doing the best they can. Oh, yeah. Life goes on. Here's the deal. Um, years ago, I came from a Calvary Chapel. Um, and, it, and the interesting thing was they had a very conservative um, view on women. And, you know, still to this day, um, my chief concern when it comes to the topic of what women can and can't do is, am I violating scripture in any way? I mean, there's obviously biblical roles in marriage. You know, it's not the, uh, the guy's the boss and the wife does everything that the man says. And when they, I, I always, I always get a chuckle. Go on. I know. Prove it. <laughs> Go on, Pete. It's not. Go on. I'm just saying, prove it. Prove to me <laughs> in the Bible. It's not all about what you just said. It's not all about. So, so here's the deal, right? Um, what, what we often hear, so what it says, it says in Ephesians 5, it says, submit to one another. Um, and then it says, and it tells you how the man submits and then how the female submits. And what we've, what we've typically done is we've made it that the female always submits to the man. And so I always get a kick out of when I uh, speak to uh, a couple and they say, well, when we come to an impasse, um, you know, I always do whatever he says because he's the head. Well, okay. I get that. Um, I get All that I know that's is that's a woman put. who needs to be leading the women's ministry at my church. <laughs> <laughs> but, but here's the thing is the Bible never says that. Like the Bible never tells you that what it means for the husband to be the, the head means that he's the boss. Um, it, it just never says that. And it never means that if you come to a an impasse, which is going to happen many, many times in your marriage, you are, here's a surprise. You're going to disagree about things. You're going to disagree about how you spend your money. You're going to disagree about the finances. And I think a very unhealthy recipe um, for a marriage is to say, just one person always gets to make the final decision. Um, that That just, I don't think is how God designed it. People say, oh, it works so much better then. You know, dictatorships are easy. And if you want to put God cloaking on it, that's cool. But I'm just saying it's not biblical. When the Bible talks about the, the submission, it is a mutual submission. So it says that the, the man needs to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Later on, Peter says you need to bear with your wife in all patience and understanding. And he said so that your prayers are not hindered. So being dominating, being um, trying to be like the boss and boss around, Bible says your prayers are going to be hindered. God cares very much how you treat his bride and how you treat yours. So, so the reality is um, any healthy relationship is going to be um, discussion and prayer. And so what I would say is in a prayerful spirit, like Lloyd-Jones used to say, if you're going to argue, argue on your knees, you know, um, pay attention to how you talk to each other, how you argue with one another. And then um, you are going to argue and you are going to disagree. And so anyways, all this to say, and I've never, ever seen a marriage where they they say, oh, you know, I just do whatever uh, my husband tells me, where the wife is not actually pulling the strings. Whereas if a couple talks, it's just, it's mature. It leads to growth. It leads to understanding. It leads to respect. And I think the key of that Ephesians passage is respect. And it actually says, make sure the wife um, submits to her husband. And later in the passage, Paul defines what that means. 
he says, see to it that the wife respects her husband. So there is inherently in our sin nature, uh, for me as a male, I want to dominate my wife. It's, it's, it's what I want to do. And for do my mean, wife, she naturally wants to, huh? What do you mean by that? You want to dominate your wife? Well, men, you know, we're, we're different than women. We like to kind of, we like to kind of show a force and um, we like to power our way through things. And suddenly you marry a woman who's nothing like you. And, you know, like I could joke with you, Pete, in ways I can't joke with my wife because I'd hurt her feelings. That's sad um, because I do joke with my wife exactly the same way oh, I joke well, with dude, you. Well, uh, dude, like understand my wife is not a fragile teacup. My wife is funny as heck. She's got a ripping sense of humor, but I'm also her husband. And so there's sensitivities at times where there's things I would never joke about. I could talk about how ugly you are. I could never do that with my wife, you know, and I can't say to her, hey, you're ugly, you know, or you're stupid. <laughs> you know, um, I, I just can't do that stuff with her. Um, but my wife is probably the funniest person I know. And the great thing is she's a fantastic conversationalist. She doesn't listen to the podcast, so I don't, I'm not kissing her butt, but she is funny, dude. My <laughs> wife, I laugh with my wife. You mean tons. she doesn't listen to the podcast anymore. Apparently not we lost anymore. her at some point. It's basically the the sound clip. What's in the box? She's like, no more. No, I'm done. So so here's here's the deal. Um, all that to say, it's kind of like when you talk about you know the pastor, right? Um, so people say, well, what is headship? You know, um, well the headship uh, that I understand in the Bible is kind of like when you talk about um, you are you are the spiritual leader. And so if you look at Jesus, we submit, and he actually says you submit. Your husband is as the you know uh, as the church submits to Christ. Um, no one's ever going to take the place of Jesus. So Paul's not saying, um, "Hey, basically, you know, have a second Jesus." He's not saying that. What he's saying is, "Look, um, the man will will spiritually lead you." So it doesn't mean when we come to an impasse in decisions, my husband's the boss. It literally means um, being the spiritual head of your house means that you are the one who really, as he says, you nourish and care for her with the washing of the word. Um, if we're getting strictly to scripture here, it is spiritual care. And so headship in the house means servant leadership. Just as Christ is our head, he doesn't dominate us. Christ never dominates us. We are allowed and we are given the ability to submit to Christ on our own. And of course, something's out of whack when we're not submitting to him and respecting him and something will be out of whack with the wife when she's being disrespectful to her husband and she'll feel that. Um, it's it's a huge mistake for a guy to go, hey, submit to me like he's her boss. That's that's terrible. Um, so so, But also too, what you often hear guys say is, if you're loving your wife like Christ loves the church, she's going to respect you. So here's, here's going back to marriage. And I've talked about this before. But <clears throat> your marriage, for, for Anna and I, we talk about the cords of three strands. That uh, And I, I talked about this not long ago, so I'm not going to go deep into it. But um, you've got your marriage uh, has three different aspects to it. It's got the physical side, which is the sex and, and the touching, even just holding her hand, giving her a kiss, hugging her, you know, all that kind of stuff. Then you've got the emotional side. That's the connection bit. That's where your wife says, we haven't talked in a while. Or, you know, um, I, don't, I don't care what we do. I just want to be with you. Or, or, you know, we're not priority. You've got to emotionally connect. So there's the emotional side. And then thirdly, 
there's the um, spiritual side. And so what we notice is we're normally not firing on all three cylinders, right? Strongly at all times. It's, it's usually two of the three. Um, we can do pretty well. Three, we're doing awesome. Like we have the best marriage on the planet. And one of those, if it goes down to one, we, we always say we're hanging by a thread. So we have this kind of code in our house where we talk about this. But anyways, going back to this, there are clear, I want to get back into the leadership aspect because there are clear um, uh, roles. So we don't want to, you know, uh, what I don't want to say today is that they're not um, things that the scripture speaks to uh, regarding maleness and femaleness. But I think kind of where we're, we're talking about leadership, one of the things that I've, I've kind of changed on without changing my view of scripture is I've changed my view on what um, women are allowed to do in the church. So for example, um, years ago, I didn't realize this, but um, when, when I first was going to that Calvary Chapel church, women couldn't do anything. Women could basically make food and women could take care of kids. And that was it. I, I don't think people remember, but you know, 20 years ago, you didn't see women leading worship from the stage. That just, they weren't allowed to do that. You never saw women give announcements in church. It was pretty much like the men's club. Hmm. You know, the men's club for men. <laughs> and half of the church sat there quiet. And, uh, of course, there would be people going, oh, let a woman learn in full submission and silence, you know, totally misapplying that verse. But here's the deal. Women did nothing. You would occasionally have women greeters at the door. You would definitely have women making food. And you would have women working in Sunday school. Uh, and they were allowed to be secretaries until they ran off with the pastor. Right? I mean, am I wrong or am I right? Um, No, that's definitely the way it used to be. And I would say in most churches, it probably still is that way. Yeah, in a lot of churches, it is. And I think what, what we get into is nobody wants to violate Scripture. And I definitely don't want to violate scripture, but I started, okay, for example, youth pastors, right? Um, we have this idea that um, taken from Paul's Timothy passage that, uh, you know, I never, uh, he says, I, I, I do not permit a woman to teach and have uh, authority over a male or over a man. So uh, say like youth ministry now, all of a sudden it was like women are okay to teach kids at Sunday school. But then it was like, uh-oh. You know, youth pastor, uh, you know, now we're in this weird kind of no man's land between adulthood and childhood. What can they do? And in Calvary Chapel, women could not be a youth pastor. She could help with a youth group, but she could not be a youth pastor because A, it had the word pastor in it. And B, it was kind of like, well, if we don't believe that women can shepherd males, then you know, now we're in this kind of like gray area. Are they men? Or are they not? Are they adults? Or are they kids? Illegally, they're not adults till they're 18. But then people would go, oh, but they're considered a man in Hebrew culture by 13. Yeah, I don't think Paul imposed that on people. And so I began to kind of unravel a bit like that. I, the, it first started with me going, okay, this is a made up rule. I don't, I don't think we really have a clear guideline. I would hear people say, well, not till they're 18 or other people like you definitely wouldn't have women leading college ministries. And the ironic thing is that Paul there 
is speaking about elders, right? He's speaking about elders. And so uh, it had nothing to do with eldership in a youth group. It's just nothing at all. So I'm like, okay, so where where are we coming from here? And the, and the more that the thread started to get pulled, the more I started paying attention. So, for example, one of the things was Wesley. And, um, and I know all of our reform guys are going to roll their eyes and say, oh, yes, of course, Wesley. Wesley, well, I'll give you some reformed examples too. Um, but Wesley, uh, he, he started ordaining female gospel preachers. I had to think about that. Uh, Paul in, in First Timothy, he's talking about an elder. That's why he says, for, I do not permit a woman to teach and have authority over a man. Um, teaching and governing, um, that's a whole nother sticky wicket, but governing, it, it means making decisions. It means leading. It means, um, you know, pretty much, uh, yeah, this is leadership. I mean, there's no other way. You got to make decisions. You got to, you got to do things, but that there is a description of an, of an elder. And so what's an evangelist? I mean, look, Jesus sits with a woman on the side of a well and he shares who he is with her. And she goes and becomes a gospel preacher and brings a whole village to Jesus. But see, people would argue she's not being a gospel preacher. Right. She's okay, just bringing so, people. Yeah. So, so okay, go on. Let's unpack that a bit. Because what what does she do? Does she go in and, you know, what? She says, go, come here. This guy has told me everything I've ever done. Right. So, so she she's goes in and she shares the gospel. She's not sharing the gospel. All she's saying is. He's, he's, he's said everything I've ever done. Well, but she is, see, she's proclaiming Christ. She goes in and shares her testimony. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't like she went through and just said that line. She's right. Well, I don't know. Right. She's basically inviting. What does it take to invite someone? You don't usually preach to invite. You just say, dude's out by the corner. Come with me. Hear what he has to say. So I can't say that she's being an evangelist from that section of passage. Yeah, well, because and, she's just saying, "Dude's out at the corner. Let's go." Sort of, except you would you would definitely say she was proclaiming Christ, right? I mean that that is the definition of a gospel preacher. She's proclaiming Christ, no matter how you slice it. She's not just saying, "Hey, come here, some dude preach." She's literally proclaiming Christ to them, right? I get I get what you're saying, and I see how you could take it that way, but I I think there's more that she's doing than that. So so as I look at that. Um, not, not only do you have that, but then you look at, it. it Paul's, uh, you know, his passage in Romans, uh, 16, where a third of those people that he lists off there are women. And he mentions, for example, he mentions a deaconess, he mentions my fellow worker, uh, he mentions my, my, you know, he talks about his partners in the gospel and he's naming women off, right? Um, he talks about churches meeting in a woman's house, which some people have tried to make like that makes her a pastor. I don't think so. But um, but it, it doesn't matter. Right. A third of the people there are women. And so as I started looking through church history, I started finding people like William Booth and um, others who, uh, as the spirit started moving, particularly in the area of evangelism, um, you started noticing that that women were doing stuff and. Uh, what would happen is the church would would clamp down out of fear on women being evangelists. And of course, even if you take the most conservative 
view of Paul's, um, you know, teaching and having authority, he's describing the role of an elder. It really has no bearing on a woman being a gospel preacher, right? I mean, anyone can preach the gospel to anyone as far as scripture is concerned. Do, do you follow me? Sure. Yeah. So, but we, we still don't allow that to be. So I remember going to a women's conference. And this is, this is one of the reasons that I think women's ministry, you don't mess with the women's ministry. So I've been trying to schedule trainings in um, churches for Multiply. And the one thing I've learned is do not do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Because churches, Baptist churches, the women's Bible study is on Tuesday. And you never move it off of Tuesday. Right? That's the day which we do the women's Bible study and the women will get really mad. Like you don't push him out of anything. And I think the reason why is because that's all they got, right? Like it's almost like a mini church. It's the time where they can be like, look, we get to do stuff here. Like we get to use our spiritual gifts here and no one tells us no, right? Like no one tells us that we shouldn't be doing this because we're women. And so if you want to, if you want to like, destroy your church and establish church, go pick on the women's study. It will immediately split your church, right? You don't mess with them because it's the only place where they can actually use their spiritual gifts without restraint, except for Sunday school and cooking. Right? Okay. Follow me? I'm with you. <laughs> I'm not preaching to the choir here. <laughs> P-E-Y-T-O-N at churchplannermag.com. That's all I'm saying. Go for it. And, uh, and so here's the deal. Um, so, so, all of a sudden I'm going, well, you know, there's, there's a lot more that women can actually do. So case in point, um, one of the eight two nine church planners that I'm pretty tight with, we started a new breed together. Um, he's the head now of eight two nine Wales. His name's Di Hankey. His church plant was just struggling, man. And then one day, uh, he was just so discouraged because there's all these people in there. No one's getting saved. And he just said to his wife, kind of more like, you know what? I just can't keep going round after round with no fruit. And he just asked his wife, hey, will you share your testimony? And uh, she did. She shares her testimony. She goes up front and she shares about how she was in chronic depression, which is very common in Wales, particularly in the very rough neighborhood they were in. And uh, where unemployment's very high and there's a lot of drinking and drugs and obesity. And so she goes in there and she, she just starts sharing her testimony. Up front, she shares for about 10 minutes, maybe 12 minutes. And it was like a Holy Spirit bomb dropped in the place. All of a sudden, these women are crying. Of course, she's touched on things that, that these women are, 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 you know, really struggling with. And, uh, and it was like, that was a start really of their church plant taking off was that morning where five women gave their, their lives to Christ. And, uh, you know, and I was like, Hey, I was humbled, man, because, I was, I th you know, Dye's a fantastic preacher, but he couldn't break the ice. And uh, so, you know, so again, if you want to double your workforce, start letting women do stuff, right? And I know some of you guys are like, hey, I've come from a really traditional background. In fact, some of you guys probably think I'm a liberal for even suggesting this. But here's the thing. Church planning is the place where women's gifts really shine. And if you'll let them do more than what traditional church has allowed, which I believe unbiblically has forbidden them to do, um, then then you really get somewhere. So I suppose before uh, before I get to the scripture, I would just mention, I promised you some reformed examples. Um, number one, um, so William Booth, for example, Salvation Army. 
Um, and by the way, just about any missionary, just so you know, the two by two thing, um, when and the reform movement was really kind of the at the forefront of sending missionaries globally. I mean, you know, in England, which was the powerhouse of modern missions, um, they were pretty much all reformed. I mean, you didn't have anyone other than reformed churches, but women had a very prominent place on the mission field. You, you read all the accounts of of missions and women are there doing gospel work. And so it just kind of seems like that's the two by two. Um, Paul does say that Peter brings along his believing wife on mission with him. Um, and Paul goes, Hey, don't I have a right to take a wife? You know, um, I, I have these rights, but, but I don't use them, you know? And uh, so anyways, and, and Paul was single at that time, but the reality is that uh, even like Whitfield, you know, um, what a lot of people don't realize is Whitfield was largely sponsored by a woman named the Countess of Huntington. She was a noble in England at the time. And she she funded not only um, many of his missions, but she also planted churches like she planted churches. I, I think it was somewhere around 16 churches that she planted. Sometimes she would sponsor a minister. Other times she would just flat out and out plant the church because she had the money to do it and she had the influence and it was her. And, uh, and, and so, you know, what's really funny is there's a book called daughters of the church. If you want it by uh, Ruth Tucker, that goes deep into this subject and it will just open your eyes because what happens is we write church history books and we write women out. Um, mm. If, if I told the story of pillar church, um, there've been times I've been guilty of completely telling the story as if women didn't exist in that church plan. I can tell the story of what happened in, in Wales as if I were the solo character and my wife wasn't there. Um, and, and what happens is because guys often were the preachers and we're the pulpiteers and we're the pastors, um, we write church history in a very male-centric way and we tell our stories. So uh, William Booth, I mentioned, um, Salvation Army, he did not believe that uh, women were called to preach the gospel until he heard his wife. And she was a much better gospel preacher and a much more effective gospel preacher than he was. Um, years ago, Ruth Bell Graham, if you guys ever wondered where Billy uh, passed the mantle down to, um, no, no offense to Franklin, but uh, he's really good at doing Operation Christmas Child and stuff, but um, he is not the preacher. His sister is. His sister is anointed. So I, I snuck in to a women's conference once because I just wanted to hear her. I'd never heard her before. And I was over in Wales and she came through and, um, and, and me and this other pastor guy, I, I saw him there and it was like we were hiding. I think there was like two of us in this whole stadium. She was so stinking anointed, man, that uh, spirit was just ripping through her. And I thought, man, that is as powerful preaching as I've ever heard from her dad. Um, with, within my movement, Calvary Chapel, um, if you go overseas, um, women preach. In Calvary chapels there, uh, American women. So like Chuck's daughter preaches uh, at something called Creation Fest, which is an evangelistic event. And she just full on out and out preaches. They would never do that here. Um, but again, 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 changes. And nobody would look at, at 1 Timothy 5 and say, well, he's, you know, that's a violation of what, what Paul said there about eldership. And yet we never, ever have female preachers here 
And so the question is, you know, we need to get into that scripture and kind of look at what is it saying? What isn't it saying? And how do we navigate our way through it? So I want to give you guys my view and um, you might disagree. And remember, again, I came from a very conservative background on this. And it was a real struggle for me because um, at all costs, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to like sell out on, on if God's saying something, I, you know, God can say just about anything he wants. Um, and, and, and who am I to, to disagree, right? If God says he doesn't want, you know, anyone in the pulpit, who am I to disagree with that, right? Uh, we forget that, uh, you know, God in the Old Testament was like, hey, don't go hang out with Gentiles, right? In the, in the New Testament, it's the opposite. He says, go to them. And he has to tell Peter three times, hey, you can go to Gentiles now. Um, that's radical. Like, that's kind of weird, you know, like, it was just kept to Jewish people. And and God had held them back. He had restrained them, really, in effect, because they didn't have a gospel to take to the world yet. So he needed the gospel to, you know, he needed what Jesus did to happen. But then once the apostles get going, he releases them. So God can tell me whatever. You know, he tells Abraham to sacrifice his son. Um, you know, God sometimes has said things that you, I don't know about that, Lord, but okay, you're God, you know. That was Abraham's faith. He listened to God. Obviously, God didn't want him to kill his son. But uh, but there's a lot of things in the Bible that, that God says. So I don't have a problem. God is God. If he says something, I'm going to respect it. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I totally feel what you're saying. And, um, you know, growing up in a Baptist church, uh, I mean, it was very, very conservative. And, uh, you know, women were allowed to do certain things and not other things. And I remember one time we had your wife on the podcast and her point was, she goes, at what age do I become the pariah and I'm not allowed to, to share, you know, meaning yeah. like with kids, you know, at what age? And I thought that was an interesting point, but growing up in the, the family that I grew up in and, uh, you know, the small Baptist church and the conference that we were uh, with, um, I had a very distinct view of what women should clearly not be doing. Not so much what they could be doing, but I knew what they could not do. And um, I remember Jamie and I, one time we went and visited this one church and this woman was preaching. I was like, all right, that's it. We're not coming back here again. Right. And um, of course, that was also the church that as soon as I walk up, the dude hugs me and I'm like, oh, God, what's going on? Why are you touching me? Um, but I, I also remember, you know, and talking with you and hearing your views on what women could do, it forced me to go back to the new Testament and reread it, looking at, at all the places, uh, where women are, are pointed out and what they're doing and what is actually being said. And it was a real eye opener for me when I was looking at it from a different point of view, not from the point of view of, well, men are always the the leaders. They're always the one who share women, you know, make some cookies for us. We're going to go out there and get the job done mm. because it really started to blow my mind. You know, um, Colossians where it talks about what's that that lady's name? Um, Nifa or something. Nifa. And her church in her house, right? Remember that? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You with me? 
And I was like, what? What do you mean a church in her house? What? That, what? What does that mean? Right? And yeah. in Acts, when it talks about, and your daughters will prophesy, what do you mean your daughters are going to prophesy? Aren't they just yeah. supposed to be back there making cookies? And and also we have the Ephesians 4. This is what people don't realize. And they, this is where I'm going with this, is team leadership answers the first Timothy problem. Once you go to team leadership, it's really easy to make the shift. So like, for example, when it says that Philip's daughters in the book of Acts, that they were prophets prophets or prophetesses, right. however you say that, um, that that was their role. There's He has three daughters and they're all prophets. And you go, whoa, 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 wait a second now. That the prophets is depending on, you know, Neil Cole would say that they're deacons, um, the Ephesians four roles. Some people would say uh, they're just what they are. Uh, maybe all believers are one of those five. I, I, I think Alan Hirsch comes out there. Uh, and whereas then you got me with the fist leadership model, which says, no, these are elder roles. That's why they're teams of elders, because it's team leadership that these five roles equip the saints for works of ministry. And I cut you off, so I'm sorry, man. Yeah, no, I just, but it, it is that kind of eye-opening stuff. And you'll have some people who read that and go, okay, well, we don't have prophets anymore, right? They, they close yeah. the canon, boom, no more profits, which that's a whole nother issue that, that needs to be dealt with. But, yeah. um, but even in reading uh, the New Testament, like, I'll see this Bible I got right here. It's a ESV. And um, what I found really interesting is everywhere where it says brothers, you know, it's got the little footnote. And you read down at the footnote and it goes, well, this word is really translated brothers and sisters. And it it like takes on a different meaning, yeah. When you're reading it, and you go, "Wait a second! What they're really saying is brothers and sisters." Now we've so male dominated this that we go, "Well, no, we're just going to say brothers." Yeah. But it, wait a second! But is that really what they were saying there? And I, I got to tell you, man, <laughs> it it really like made me go, "Okay, I need to really reevaluate." Okay, now what is this saying, First Timothy, and and what is he referring to there? Very much the the same things that you're talking about right here. Because it just, it for me, it was a mind blowing thought, and yeah. um, and it's a, it's a mind blowing thought that there are like there are many people right now who are listening to this podcast going these guys are out of their mind. But I, I'll tell you something that I think we've neglected as a church. I was watching one of these uh, late night uh, religious uh, preachers. Everyone would know this gal. I can't remember her name because um, she's got some some bad theology in certain parts, but that's not my point. My point was <laughs> when the camera panned to the audience and I'm looking at the audience, the audience was a good 97, 98% female mega church, yeah. right? Yeah. And almost everyone in there is women. And I'm looking at that going, okay, we are completely missing a segment of our population. Yeah. And, and we just go, oh, well, that's all we got. Women's ministry. Wait a second here. These yeah. Women are thirsty. And yet, you know, that that's part of the reason why they're being attracted to some of these other churches that do have bad theology, but they're, they're able to hear from a woman. And for them, yeah. it resonates with them. And I think it's the same thing in, in our, our cultural society with race, you know, yeah. um, it's not uncommon, right? You go to a black church yep. because you're, you're, you're comfortable there, right? That's right. And and I'm not saying Super that's true. Yeah, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, 
right? Because no. I, when we get to heaven, it's human nature. It's it's the way things are. It's not the way things should be. Especially when you're not saved, right? When you're yeah. not saved, yeah. you go to where you're comfortable. Yeah. And um, as a white guy, if I was not saved, I would not go to an all black church. Would not happen, right? It's yeah. not going to yeah. happen. Why do I think the black guy is going to come to my all white church, who's yep. not saved? Um, but my point is, is that I think, you know, and, and there's women who are hungry, who are thirsty. It's like, well, dude, they got this chick over here who's leading. Well, they don't say chick, right? <laughs> they got this woman over here who's leading. I'm, I'm going to go to that church. I yeah. mean, I saw, so I, I, I was, that was one of the things that just struck me as I was looking at that as I was like, okay, I, I think we really need to start looking at this and, you know, what does the Bible really say? Um, how do we stay uh, biblical in what we're doing? And and how do we reach people who who need absolutely to be reached? well? And this is important, right? Because what we're talking about, we're talking about team leadership, is right away when Paul says, "I do not permit a woman to teach and have authority over a male." Um, he's describing the role of an elder, right? Um, and the word in the Greek, the "and," links the two together as a role, and the and the emphasis is over a man. So. What was happening, if you remember, in um, Revelation letters of the seven churches, uh, the six other churches came out of Ephesus during Paul's two and a half tour there, two and a half year tour there, um, uh, where they were all planted out of Ephesus. And in, if you if you read the letters to the seven churches, you had Jezebel. Now Jezebel was she was the leader, and Paul obviously is speaking as he's writing to Timothy. In Ephesus, he's writing about, you know, obviously this is something that was going on. He writes to Timothy about it and says, hey, I don't allow. And and, and, and here's the interesting thing. The way we've taken this is as if Paul is saying, I don't allow uh, a woman to ever um, do these things with a man. What I think Paul was writing to was Jezebel's situation where it was one woman leading. I also would think if there were a dude who was one guy leading, which by the way was absolutely foreign in the New Testament, the New Testament was always team leadership. So I think Paul could equally write if there was a guy sleeping with all the women in an elder position, he would probably write the opposite. Now I can't put words in Paul's mouth, but the situation um, kind of tells you that there was an issue. And so when Paul says that, we know that Paul valued women on his team. He writes that in uh, Romans 16, that they were his fellow workers, gospel partners, that he had served with them, that they had preached the gospel with them, that they advanced the kingdom with them. I mean, he throws them all these props in Romans 16. These are people he's planted with in the past that he's greeting. And so um, what, what you look at is you look at what I think Paul is more arguing against is the idea of a woman shepherding a male, which I would not allow men to shepherd women. And so team leadership automatically answers that. So for example, how many pastors do you know were like the pastor I served under who recruited me into ministry? Um, he was shepherding females. He was counseling them. He was meeting with them about their problems and their bad marriages. And boom, pretty soon he was sleeping with one. And so, you know, the same thing, men and women, basically, this is the rule. Men shepherd men, right? That ought to be how it is. Men should counsel and shepherd men. 
women should shepherd and counsel females. When I came back from Wales, um, we had the team leadership model because I just had my core team and they were very mature believers. And some of them were husband and wife's team, like Priscilla and Aquila. And you see that biblical tag team in effect. I mean, you look at Priscilla and Aquila. It says that they taught Apollos the way of God more accurately, but they did it as a team. So if you're a team, hey, there's no problem, you know, like discipling someone if you're doing it as a team. But women on men, men on women discipleship is a bad idea. Um, women on men, men on women shepherding, counseling, um, sorting through pastoral issues, bad idea. Um, so, so two by two going male and female in male and female teams, bad idea unless your husband and wife. So this is the reason why we need team leadership. It's one of the reasons. It's not the only reason. I mean, those five roles are there. But even if you look at those five roles in Ephesians chapter four, it starts off in verse seven saying that he gave gifts to men when he, when he led captivity captive. But when it says men, it literally is translated in the Greek, mankind. But then what it does is it says each to each one grace was given. That means male and female. And then it says that he gave these gifts, apostle, prophet. Now, we already point out there are prophets that I believe there are female evangelists, um, as in the case of Phoebe. Um, there were, uh, uh, you know, we just talked about shepherds and shepherdesses. I believe that um, they had team ministry then. Um, which is how Jezebel was even a, a thing, right? Was, I mean, how did even a woman get in there? Well, because that was normal in a team leadership model that the men would look after the men, the women would look after the women. And so when you start breaking it down, New Testament wise, again, guys, I am as concerned as anyone to not violate the sanctity of scripture. It is infallible. It is inspired. However, what we do when we read scriptures, we read it to the view of a 21st century, 2,000 years on with a bunch of muddled church history where our structures weren't good, they weren't healthy, um, they definitely weren't first century, and we're reading our context into a first century Bible passage. Hmm. And so what what I think we need to do, and, and again, uh, what I tell people when they give, you know, when I tell them this, is I tell them, I'm actually more biblical than you are <laughs> on this because... I'm looking at it from a first century mindset. Um, this is this is very first century, what I'm saying here. And so you don't have the issue of violating any principle Paul lays down. And first, a, a women does not teach and govern men in the team leadership model. And here's the thing that always happens. This is what always amuses me, is when you're on a leadership with elders, the first thing the guy does, if it's just a team of guys, first thing they do is they go home and talk to their wives. <laughs> their wives go, wait, what? You guys, you guys are idiots. What what are you thinking? I have just watched this on the team, uh, team after team after team, where the women are like, What it? no, but you guys didn't think of this and you didn't think of that. And 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 over the years, I've just learned, you know what? We're all gonna go talk to our wives anyways. And and I'm not saying that a woman has to be on your elders team. Because her husband's on. That's not that's not the case. Some women are like, hey, I'm not called to this. My husband is. And that's cool. You know, I, I'm not going to put that pressure burden. But when you have Priscilla and Aquila teams um, where it says that they taught him the way of God more accurately, you need to honor that. And you need to bring them in. Because uh, when you have a half of your church 
is the most, and this is what happens. Half your church is the most on fire part of that church. And often the women's ministry is popping. The men's ministry is just staggering along, but the women's ministry is on fire. Um, they're in the word. They're way more mature than their husbands. Um, and then for some reason you go, no, the men must make all the decisions here. And then you go and meet in your, in your men elders meeting and the majority of your church you know, or the, the the biggest thing going in your church is half of your congregation who are just on fire and they're not going to be a part of that. Like you're not going to have this shepherd, the woman shepherding or the team of women shepherding the females to even seek the Lord together with you for the direction that Jesus might have for the church. Not going to do that. Like that's insanity because you're going to go back individually and talk to her and she's pretty influential in your life. You should probably come together as a team and be seeking Jesus together. And so, guys, that's how I believe it worked in the New Testament. I believe that just like Paul said, Peter and his wife were a team, um, you know, Priscilla and Aquila were a team. I think that, you know, I, I look at people and I tell them, hey, my, I don't care who I'm planting with. Like when Charlie Marquez or Yan Jensen at Pillar, um, wherever I've been, um, my number one church planting partner is always my wife. She's always my right hand guy, and she's not a guy, if that makes sense. And uh, you do have to be careful what you say in today's day and age. Yes, she. Uh, just so you know, my wife is not a man. It's really funny because um, I talked about uh, in this book, and I'm going to wrap up here. But I talked about um, in the book that uh, when I took my wife out the first time, that I scrubbed my car top to bottom um, because I was going to have a real live human girl in it. And, uh, and I had to scrub everywhere, you know, even like under the seat for boogers. And then in parentheses, I wrote, yes, sir. My wife's a lucky lady. <laughs> <laughs> so dude, I still, I, I have to share this cause this has nothing to do with anything yet. I totally was reminded of this. We, we rarely had bulletins at refuge long beach, but this one week we had a bulletin and you and Chris are both uh, pastors at the time. And it says, you know, pastors, Peyton, Wife Andrea, Chris, wife Andrea. And I remember going, what kind of church is this? Because <laughs> both your wives have the same name. Yes. So. To be an elder in that church, you must be bald and your wife must be named Andrea. There you go. And, uh, that is the path to secret evil geniushood. But, uh, but you know, here, here's the thing, guys. To sum up, team leadership, it answers these problems. And it's a problem that uh, obviously Jezebel, even if you read that context from Revelation, she was the boss lady. And uh, that's where the problems began. And that's what Paul's writing to is it was a it wasn't a one man model it was a one woman model. And that caused all kinds of havoc. She had no accountability. She led everyone off the track. She was leading men astray um, on and on and on. And it easily could have been a man doing that with a woman. But mm -hmm. anyways, all that to say, guys, team ministry, once you open up the door for team ministry, um, it changes the dynamics. And so stop reading a 21st century context into a first century problem. And uh, anyways, that's it with the uh, podcast today. I know it's uh, it's a paradigm shift. You don't have to agree with me, but uh, that is my two cents on it. And uh, this has been the Church Planter Podcast. And we want to remind you, well, first thing I want to remind you is if you go to uh, my YouTube channel, which is uh, the Ninja Church Planter, I got a new one up this week called, uh, it's called Ninja Church Planning. And it's pretty funny. So you probably didn't know that Paul was a ninja, but it's on there. So anyways, uh, this has been Peyton and Pete Mitchell. 
telling you and reminding you that if you want to reach ones no one's reaching, go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.